Hi guys, George and Ali from the Not The Top 20 podcast here. Thank you very much for tuning in to another edition. There's been two game weeks since we last spoke. We're five games in and the leagues are starting to take shape. We've got three sackings to discuss today. Uh, We'll pick our team of the week later in the podcast, so make sure you hold on for that. Uh, We're speaking to another special guest related to the team of the week. And of course, last week's special guest, Alex Fisher, went and bagged another goal this weekend in another Yeovil win. So a good start for Entity 20s team of the week. George, we were on EFL Matters on Thursday, our second appearance on that. Um, looking back at the performance data, do you think we were, we were better than our, than our debut outing? Yeah, hopefully. Uh, hopefully <laughs> we, we improved upon that first showing. Obviously looking forward to doing it again next month when we haven't got a nice six-month break in between. Um, but a huge thanks to everyone at Sky Sports and, uh, and Pratz as well, who's a top man. So cheers for everyone there because we really enjoyed it. So a good week for us and a great week for Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday and Bristol City in the Championship. So those teams won two wins out of their two games during the week. And I think we're probably going to leave Middlesbrough. So sorry to Borough fans, but we're going to leave you for this week because your game versus Leeds will be our game in focus on the Thursday betting show. And no doubt we'll have a debrief next Monday about the Borough Leeds game. First v second in the championship. That's on Friday night on Sky. Uh, So out of the other bunch, George, the two Sheffield sides, Derby, Bristol City, who has piqued your interest this week? Who's caught your eye? It's been Bristol City, who, after a difficult start to the season, I was confident they were going to uh, carry on from their, from their good season last campaign, but uh, a difficult start. But they've come out two away games in the week. You know, we've obviously seen lots of teams either having both games away from home or both games at home. Bristol City, one of those to play away twice, scoring four goals, getting six points and keeping two clean sheets. It seems like they've really got their season up and running now. Um, you, you tweeted off our account about Andreas Weiman, who's obviously got off to a great start, scoring the winner against Swansea. And I think going 1-0 up very, very, very early doors, as they did within the first two minutes uh, against Swansea and being able to not only hold on to that lead, but I think they look like the team more likely to score going on in that game as well, shows that uh, any murmurings of discontent about Lee Johnson's reign from Bristol City fans, which I read about on social media, have been put to bed pretty quickly. It does get tougher now, um, despite the fact they get their home comfort to Ashton Gate for the next two uh, league games. It is Blackburn and Sheffield United um, who will prove tricky tests because I think they're there, two of the teams who you have to be impressed by as well since we last sat here. His record with strikers is incredible. Since he's been at Bristol City, you'll remember Jonathan Codger. Don't get me wrong, he was an established player. I think he was League 2 player of the season the year before he moved to Bristol City with Angers. So it's not like he came from nowhere with no goal-scoring pedigree. But for a foreign player, adapting to the championship is not always easy. Codger scored 19 goals that season, his first for Bristol City. Uh, Tammy Abraham replaced him after his move to Aston Villa. 21 goals he scored. Sorry, 23 goals he scored in his what was essentially his debut season in professional football. Bobby Reid last season, not even a striker until Lee Johnson had a brainwave and decided to put him up front. 21 goals in the league. So an amazing record. And Vyman, who I think considers himself a striker, but I was looking on transfer marked earlier, has basically only played... 20% of his career up front through the middle has uh, got five and five and is just you know again it just looks like another absolute masterstroke Weiman was one of those players he always heard that he was the best finisher at the club for every club he played for always the best, <laughs> always the best finisher at the club at Villa um, and he's now proving that, that you know he, he, he can play that role it's frustrating for me as someone who backed uh, Moisa at 100 to 1 for top goals. Where's scoring. he gone? He's not, he's not getting his chance. He just comes on uh, late on in games. Obviously, you know, the amount of money spent on him, given his age and, and his, the quick step up he's had to make, he will, he will feature. But with Juju coming back from his suspension very soon as well, you'd have to think he's going to just slip further down the pecking order. So that's, that's money gone. I'm um, a bit. Uh, not a great advert for the, for the Thursday betting podcast, that, but uh, no, not, <laughs> not my best there. A great week for Bristol City, and they're starting to move back up the table after a tough start. The same, George, could be said for Sheffield United. Three nil winners on the weekend against Bolton and they look in really good form uh, Liam on Instagram got in touch to say Oliver Norwood's been an absolute revelation he has slotted straight into that team um, his passing stats it's only been two league games but he's been proper quarterback for, for Sheffield United and I think that uh, since Coots broke his leg last year they've not necessarily been the same it looks like Norwood um, has got Sheffield United back to their previous performance levels in terms of midfield um, 
John Fleck's third goal came after a sequence of 16 uninterrupted passes involving nine of their 10 outfield players. So Okta said no championship goal this season has had a longer build-up. So again, uh, a team who had a tough first few games but seem to be hitting their stride now. Yeah, and, and nearly a goal of the season from Leon Clark as well, who's, who's hit from far out on the volley. It's unbelievable was, save, was, wasn't it? Or was it a volley? It's one of those. But the ball was in the air when he hit it, and it was uh, yeah, an unbelievable save onto the crossbar. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really impressive, and I think they've got their swagger back from last season, uh, losing uh, at home on opening day to Swansea in, in difficult circumstances, then being absolutely thrashed by Borough. Um, could have seen their heads drop but I think but yeah I mean you, you saw Chris Wilder's comments after the game saying that they could have been out of sight after two or three minutes um, which I think says, says a lot about the way he's feeling he's, he's got his kind of bullish nature back and, and we've seen in the past or at least I've seen sometimes um, when the chips are down for Wilder he he becomes the chippy one and this time he's managed to to strengthen them to not panic and uh, and as you say the addition of Norwood seems to have brought a little bit of consistency in the middle that maybe John Lundstrom couldn't provide uh, who's dropped back to the bench but uh, yeah really really exciting now for Sheffield United who we we hope would do well and uh, and their game on Saturday against Villa looks like it's going to be one of the games of the weekend I know that expected goals wise uh, and we must keep stressing that it's still a, a small data sample but they are projecting very well so far, Sheffield United. Even when they had those few poor results at the start of the season, uh, it was sort of considered in terms of the data that they were still creating good chances and that things would come good. So the luck's gone the other way or the, the variance, whatever you want to call it. What about their big rivals, Sheffield Wednesday? Uh, they won 2-1 at home to Millwall uh, in midweek and then 2-1 against Ipswich on Saturday. I, I'm not getting carried away about this, but... I wanted to mention Josla Hukai and I'm feeling quite a lot of respect towards him for the way that he's getting on with things at Sheffield Wednesday. Obviously joining midway through last season when you know that campaign was pretty much gone. Um, it, was a, it was a passionate breakup with Carlos Carvajal and Lahukai, very different character of course. As, uh, he, he came in towards the back end of last season, started playing a few young players and Sheffield Wednesday are known for, for, for creating good talent from the youth team and Actually, the club's philosophy over the last few seasons hasn't lent itself to that. Uh, not many of those young players have got much of a go. But what I wanted to say, to, to, not to Sheffield Wednesday fans, who will be well aware of this, but to, to other fans, Sheffield Wednesday didn't sign anyone this summer. They couldn't sign anyone this summer. Uh, many managers would have complained about this. Luhukai, as far as I've seen, has not moaned once. He's pretty much just set about getting the best out of the squad that he has. And it's a squad with... with you know, it's it's a squad with some talent in, put it that way. Joao scored two on the weekend. With him and Forestieri behind him, with the likes of Bannon and Reach, they've got some players who I would consider top 10, top six players in the championship. But clearly, he's not working with enough to get them up there. But, you know, in terms of being really worried about Sheffield Wednesday, uh, I, I just see them being mid-bottom half, mid middle of the table this season again and, and those home wins against Millwall and Ipswich that those are the sort of games that they, that they need to be winning yeah, you, you mentioned these are top um, kind of top 10 championship players and they were that for a couple of years under Carlos Carvajal it was only in kind of halfway through last season where the expectations had to drop um, so in that respect he should have the tools to work with but obviously given and we've spoken before how the squad just seems very stale how it seemed like it needed a shake up to, to become functional again and you look at some of the players you know, at centre back they're having to play either Jordan Thornley or, uh, or, or Matt Penny who both spent time in League 2 on loan last season have played very few games uh, at championship level if at all and they're 20 and 21 years old which just shows that you know, Hukai's in a position where he has to adapt he has no option but to throw these guys in at the deep end and they're performing well um, Two games they've won, I think they were slightly fortuitous against Ipswich, um, given the, the sending off, which I think was a bit harsh. Um, but you cannot argue with two home wins, especially against Millwall, who are very hard to beat. Um, and an away game against Reading coming up on the league as well on the weekend, you wouldn't be too surprised if they get, get three more points. But it's hard. It's just hard to place them, given the manager, given the, the issues off the field, given the recruitment issues. I mean, it, it's, it's difficult to know what... what what is success for the Sheffield Wednesday team? Definitely. Derby are another team who got two wins this week and uh, they, they made fairly light work of Preston on the weekend. I was a bit disappointed with Preston goalkeeper Declan Rudd. That's not just because uh, their other goalkeeper is called uh, Chris Maxwell, uh, who I obviously support wholeheartedly, but Rudd, I thought, was probably should have done better for both goals. But, interesting one in this game, Preston are obviously a side that, 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 that can have the ball, good ball-playing side, but 
never a dominant team in terms of possession, which we saw from Derby in their first few games of the season. It was something that you raised some concerns about. But on the weekend, even in a home game, just 49% possession. Uh, and I thought it was quite funny, given we mentioned Keogh, uh, in a negative sense a few times. He was man of the match in this game. If you look at the passes he's made in each game so far this season, before that game, 98, 57, 78, 75, very much you know, at the upper end of, 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 of any player, let alone a centre-back. And on the weekend, just 32 passes. So maybe it's better off Keogh focusing on defending and trying to, trying to get the midfielders to dictate play. And you know, watching the highlights back, the chances they were creating was not... Uh, possession based against a low block it was you know finding space in, in, in behind and waiting for the right moment to attack and the midfield runners arriving late so uh, another impressive performance from Mason Mount as well so a, a good week for Derby I think it's fair to say um, elsewhere first wins for Stoke and QPR uh, how big are the signings of Tom Ahmed who scored the winner and Naki Wells for QPR I mean, on the back of the weekend, given Hemed's goal, you have to say quite big. I mean, I would still be fairly concerned that they don't have enough quality elsewhere um, to create the chances needed for those two players to score the goals. I mean, they're, they're both proven. I mean, Wells especially is a proven goal scorer at this level. Uh, Hemed, as well as a proven player at this level, an effective striker. So they have to be important. And if they can get Luke Freeman being the, the, the supply line to those two players, it could be, it could be huge. Um, I have my fingers burnt backing uh, Wigan against them this weekend. So it stings a bit. I was very surprised that Wigan couldn't um, at least score at Loftus Rose. Uh, it was probably my most surprising result of the weekend, really. Um, but it's a huge win for the club. It's a huge win for McLaren because it felt like things were spiralling a bit and they've now got that three points on the board. Um, they are, you know, they're off the bottom of the, of the table uh, for the time being, at least, uh, if, only at 20, if only in 22nd position. But at the same time, it gives them a little bit of momentum. It gives buys McLaren some time and it gives the fans something to cling on to where they've beaten not just any team, but a really strong Wigan team. He was, uh, he was almost in tears. He was so relieved in his post-match interview. Uh, and fair play. But I think Liam, who's a QPR fan that we follow on Twitter, summed it up best. And I've already used this line once on EFL Matters, but I'm going to use it again. So thank you, Ian. Uh, Liam, rather, you can invoice me for this times two. He said, you know, signing those two players is like buying really posh patio furniture when you've got a leak in the roof. And I think that, you know, that is both a very funny line but also speaks to what we are feeling about this QPR side clearly positive signings and, and something they needed uh, but possibly not necessarily enough to make us sure that they're going to be you know flying up the table at this stage but one team who I'd like to flag up early as a team who might actually start flying up the table a little bit uh, is Birmingham because they have conceded late to draw at Forest on the weekend they did the same against Norwich on opening day they battered Swansea uh, but couldn't score, drew that one nil nil. So that's three draws against you know, teams that project to be top half or, or, or similar in Norwich's case. Um, in the other games, they've lost those, but the XG stats are pretty good about Birmingham and it looks like if they can start sticking their chances away uh, at a slightly greater lick, then it's down to this strange issue they have with goalkeepers at the moment. So... They've got Thomas Kujak and David Stockdale still at the club, still in the squad, but neither of them are, are playing. There's, there's issues there with, alleged issues rather, I should say, with wages, with bonuses, with you know, basically bad vibes and both goalkeepers were meant to have left the club but haven't. What it means is they've got Lee Camp playing in goal. Now, Sunderland fans could have told you that Lee Camp was not good enough to play in the Championship and unfortunately for Lee, he hasn't shown in a Birmingham shirt that he is and uh, I think already Birmingham fans can see with their own eyes that they're, they're not as bad as as some people will think just looking at their results uh, and maybe if they could get a goalkeeper more capable of pushing a shot out of the box or away from goal then they might be charging up the table so I'm just going to flag that up now in case it happens and I look like a legend and then, and then we never talk about it again if it doesn't <laughs> of course um, that's how it works fair enough No, it, it is interesting with, with Birmingham I, I saw before last weekend's game they had the most shots in the league uh, and scored the joint fewest goals uh, that's now changed a little bit they've slid down to about fourth and that but obviously only getting uh, and getting the two goals on the weekend improves it but it does seem like a team maybe um, I mean you do look at the strikers in, in Trey Adams and, um, and, Djukovic. and Djukovic and you just wonder uh, if the issues could be in terms of the finishing ability of their strikers um, but 
If they're creating, if you're missing chance. out your favourite striker, Omar Bogle. I mean, he's he, yeah, he's not up to much either. Although he nearly scored a fantastic goal on the weekend, and, and also what a header from Jukovic as well. I mean, I think that's up there for goal of the weekend. It was an unbelievable hang. He kind of hung up there and nodded about the way it came. It was an unbelievable finish. But uh, going to break the record in, in how many different ways we can pronounce one player's name on on the podcast for old uh, Jukovic. That's yeah. three now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> moving on because uh, we've got a few teams we want to touch on. Just lastly for the championship, uh, David tweeted us, and thank you guys who, who tweeted in questions. Um, there will be a time where we do a straight. Q&A podcast this week wasn't one because there ended up being so many talking points that we wanted to get through but this was a great question from David Um, our last season's promoted duo Wigan and Blackburn top six contenders in the championship this season now George InfoGoal which is an app that provides XG data for the championship um, has done a, a sort of XG league table versus actual league table, which has Blackburn first and Wigan second in terms of uh, XG balance of play uh, of shot quality over their games so far. So in that sense, you you know you're, you're the data man. You'd say if they are top six contenders, and Blackburn with a with a massive win against Brentford on the weekend. Yeah, very very small sample size. Obviously, um, is important to note, but that you know anyone who's ruling out a top six challenge for for Blackburn or or, or a Wigan. Um, is, is, the, is incorrect basically there's nothing to suggest they couldn't do that um, they've both beaten very very decent teams in the last week Blackburn um, beating Brentford at home uh, without their star man as well and uh, and Wigan obviously getting that win that huge win against Stoke so any team who can put in the performances they are any team who, who can put a league to bed like the two of them did last season in League One as well retaining the majority of their players um, you know both teams are on a massive upward trajectory um, it's akin to seeing what Sheffield United did last season although that did slow down I think that people's perception of Sheffield United as a team from the beginning of the season to the end of the season was very very different indeed so yeah I, I think there's nothing to there's no reason to to think that they can't at least challenge the top six and I'd be surprised if either of them finished outside the top 12. Did you see the signing of Ben Brereton coming? Blackburn with a loan to buy for Brereton, something like six or seven million quid uh, quoted there. It's a player that we flagged up in videos we did for Sky before the start of the season as a, as a young uh, British, or rather just a young player to watch. And um, Blackburn have, have, have shown some re- confusing intent because I don't think even the fans were expecting them to, to splash that sort of money. Not quite confirmed yet, is it? I don't think the Brereton signing. But yeah, no, it, d- it does look like it's um, it's going to go through... Um, it is a surprise. I think we've seen maybe with, with what's happened at Wolves that when these clubs have the financial clout they have, I mean, if you think Burton's stock is now pretty high, if he goes a season not managing to really get into the um, into the team at, at Forest, and suddenly that six or seven million is going to going to only be a fraction of it. You look at Jordan Graham today, who went to Ipswich on a season long loan. If you think eighteen months ago he was up there with um, with Wolves' kind of hottest property in a way before his injury. Um, and the way that he slid down the pecking order there. Um, so you have to think that they've, they're going to cash in when, you know, if they don't think he's going to be part of their, their project, if they don't think he's going to be a key part of the team to get them into the Premier League, then now is the time to sell. I'm not completely convinced that necessarily Blackburn is the right place for him, given the personnel they've already got. Um, but you know, for sure it's exciting. It's not great news for Danny Graham, is it, really? Because he started the season as their number one striker, from what I suspect, he's quite close to being entirely usurped by Adam Armstrong, who's, who's formed a nice partnership with Bradley Dack, and uh, now with the signing of Brereton, who you'd hope will have, have, will have something in his contract allowing him to actually play through the middle where he wants to play, because that hasn't been, always been the case at yeah, Forest. I, I do worry, though, that Armstrong and, and Brereton are the, are the two that seem to clash in terms of style of play, and, and I don't know how well that would, that would work. I think that Graham... You know, one of those two playing off Graham maybe fits better, but um, you know he's only 19 years old. So, uh, if it is a loan with a permanent agreement, then there's no need to necessarily think he's going to play week in, week out straight away. Just excited to see him uh, get some game time, which he clearly wasn't going to be getting at Forest under Mr. Karanka. Uh, we'll drop down to League One now. We, we we've got a sacking to discuss, and it's Scunthorpe who sacked Nick Dawes, uh, who was caretaker manager at the end of last season, uh, appointed permanently in this summer but leaves after four or five games so you know I always want to bang on about this because I always think it's worth noting uh, when you're sacking your manager after four or five games as a chairman as a board uh, whoever's making those decisions to hire them in the first place you're also saying we've made a massive mistake here because uh, that that's your failing just as much as the manager's failing anyway they've appointed Stuart McCall 
and I wanted to hear what you thought about the appointment of Stuart McCall because uh, once called a clown. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I retract that comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, go on. I mean, um, well, I, th- I mean, we, we said it a fair bit on the pod last season where um, McCall left. I think since McCall has left Bradford, his stock has only risen given what's happened at the club. You know, a very, very competent manager in Simon Grayson came in and uh, couldn't get a tune out of that same team. It's not uh, looking great under Michael Collins. It's not looking either. great under Michael Collins at all. And uh, McCall made them into a functioning outfit until there was a really, really poor run of games where they couldn't really pick up a point, but they haven't improved since that. And I think that we've seen straight away the impact he can have. Scunthorpe's keeper going off injured in the two-all draw against Barnsley on the weekend, and he's moved straight away to use his Rangers connection and brought in Jack Annick, who we know is a very good keeper at this level. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's been confirmed yet, but it's been report- widely reported that he will sign there on loan, which is a really good bit of business. Um, and I think that you know he's changed, his, his, his managerial stock has just risen, basically, it, it, from through Bradford and and since then to show that he's a more than competent operator at this level. Uh, if you compare his experience and his contacts and just his pedigree to someone like Dawes, who obviously did a great job at the back end of last season, but there's no real comparison. Um, it's good. I mean, whilst we never like to see managers sacked, we saw the potential that the Scunthorpe team have uh, on the weekend where they, uh, where they obviously they took a 2-0 lead against, against Barnsley. Both goals won a penalty and one from a set piece. But nonetheless... They showed that they uh, are much, much better than, than the performances earlier on in the season. So this, is a, this one gets a tick from me. A full 360 on my views on, on, on Stuart McCall. Nice. So I think that's, you know, you, the, the podcast would be a, an issue if we never changed our opinion on stuff. Um, <laughs> Sit here staunchly saying that he's a clown. Yeah, exactly. That, that, would be, that would be silly. He's definitely someone that provokes a lot of emotion. I mean, the, the reaction of the Bradford fans, and of course it's linked to their difficult start and that home defeat on the weekend, which has caused a, a lot of consternation. Uh, Katie Wyatt, who writes for Width of the Post, which is one of the best fan-run websites around about Bradford City, uh, or about any team, but it's about Bradford City. Um, she wrote, and you touched on it there, in his last 20 games, uh, Bradford won eight of them, and in the 21 since, they've only managed five. So a, a lot of Bradford fans, because he's such a club legend as well there, uh, really quite jealous I think that Scunthorpe have hired him it doesn't guarantee success and the, the squad is is different and the, the, the Scunthorpe squad took a bit of a hit over the summer but there's still quality there so uh, we look forward to seeing how McCall does on to the teams who recorded two wins from two this week uh, George Walsall Peterborough Sunderland and Luton uh, we've discussed Walsall on the last two betting shows um, last Monday as well we, we touched on them they're on a massive high at the moment Another away win on the weekend against Rochdale. This time it was the wingers doing the business rather than the strikers, uh, Ginelli and Zeli Ismail as well. Um, it's just one of those brilliant moments that you see in football sometimes when um, everything starts. Just, just that sort of psychological momentum and excitement and a team that is being well drilled and one that has been predicted for relegation by certain outlets <laughs> just come together and, and for a few weeks and we wait to see how long it will last but at the moment uh, things looking really really good it, it's just been it's been really exciting to watch and uh, and quite lucrative for us as well because the, the bookies are not quite as sure about them um, as we've been and those two away wins were certainly uh, um, they had uh, some good prices about there um, but as we've discussed them in greater depth we'll move on to another team Peterborough the only team in the EFL, who have won five out of five games. They won 5-1 away from home at the weekend. And Cummings, Godden, Dembele, all these guys are looking the absolute nuts. But you've got some reservations. Yeah, I'm going to be careful here. I don't want this to turn into a um, George versus Reading part two with Posh. But um, They don't want it to turn into that, because look how it turned out for Reading. I know. Well, that's a, a word of warning here, maybe. Um, I just noticed with some stuff that I was reading about, about you know, the individual stats from games uh, involving Peterborough, um, that the, the shot ratio wasn't necessarily adding up. So I got in touch. I, I'm by no means clever enough to, to do it myself. So I reached out to Mark O'Hare, um, obviously very good friend of the podcast and friend of ours, who you should all be following on Twitter if you're listening to this podcast, because he's an essential follow. And he is the man with all the numbers. Um, and I asked him to let me know how Peterborough's shot data was, was going. And I was proven correct. 
Uh, in League One, they rank 23rd for shot ratio. So that's shots taken minus shots um, faced. Seventh in the shots on target ratio, which suggests better. 23rd in shots in the box ratio. So shots in the box, obviously, meaning that it's a better goal-scoring opportunity. 14th for XG ratio and 16th for XG and open play ratio. They've scored with 28% of their shots, which is the highest in the league. They've scored with 54% of their shots on target, which is the highest in the league. They've conceded just 4.5% of shots faced, which is the third lowest. 19% of shots on targets faced, which is the fifth lowest. Of their 15 goals, three of them penalties and four headers. Obviously, headers, you know, there's nothing to detract from that. But is it sustainable? Probably not. And over 23.5 of shots conceded have been on target. That is the lowest of the league. All of this adds up to a few things. I mean, this is by no means to suggest that Peterborough are going to suddenly drop down the table, but it does suggest that one of two things has to change. Either the numbers change or the results change. At the moment, they are benefiting, as Mark put it, from poor finishing from the opposition opposition and good keeping from their own keeper. Realistically, this isn't going to continue. Um, So whilst... Peterborough sitting very pretty at the top of the table. They're scoring some fantastic goals. You know, Cummings, Godden and Dembele settling into life at London Road very, very well indeed. The numbers behind the performances suggest that Peterborough could be a team that we see slip a bit in the coming weeks if performances don't change. Interesting. I hope I was, you know, <laughs> I hope I'm not going to get, a, hopefully that all makes sense and it's clear that, you know, we're not, we don't have an axe to grind. It's just something to look out for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that that's something that we always look out for because... Uh, we certainly believe in the predictive qualities of, of of knowing beyond just the results and beyond just the points gained, but trying to look a little bit deeper. So definitely something to keep an eye on. And again, you know, the caveat is that it's a very small sample size and that, you know, that a lot can happen in just a couple of games that could completely reverse that. But just at the moment, it's looking interesting. Is there, would it be too simplistic for me to say, or does this just not work that, in Cummings and maybe Dembele, they've just got players who are just too good for League One and that's why they're they're scoring goals and setting up goals that... Or is that not really how it works? Just realistically, if they're going to consistently outperform um, XG like that, then, you know, it doesn't really work like that, no. <laughs> there are teams that, that do do it over the course of, of course the season. Of course there are. I mean, we've seen with, you know, Burnley, for example, they're a classic in the, in the, in the Premier League. And then the flip side is that this season they seem to be massively underperforming just in the first few games. So, I mean, that's the way it works. You normally revert to a mean and the revert, reverting to a mean here would see Peterborough, you know, not pick up points the way, the way they are. We had a few messages last weekend saying, what are you guys thinking about your Luton promotion prediction? They were down right at the bottom of the league after three really tough fixtures. Uh, two wins from two this week. And I think we've seen uh, the best of them. We've certainly seen some signs that that what we thought before the start of the season might happen and we're not getting too carried away but you know on the weekend a 3-2 win against Shrewsbury a George Grant special um, loads of goals from from uh, from set plays they just really they're very very special when it comes to that and um, yeah just just a good week for Luton and I think signs that things are, are getting back to normal there uh, we're, we're actually going to talk about Sunderland later on in the podcast spoiler that is a bit of a spoiler, but that's why we're not talking about Sunderland now. So Sunderland fans, do not switch off. We're talking about you later on in the podcast with a special guest, so you know what that means. Um, but just lastly in League One, we're going to talk about two teams who are really struggling so far this season. The two teams in League One that haven't won because Oxford and Wickham recorded their first wins on the weekend. Happy days for you, George. Jerry tweeted in to say, is it time for Shrewsbury fans to panic? They got just two points from their five games. They lost 3-2 to Luton. Of course, their squad turnover in the summer, their change of manager, uh, it was always going to be a a, a traumatic period and it seems like they haven't exactly hit the ground running. No, uh, they haven't. Um, You can completely understand why. This isn't one of those, often you'll see teams have a fantastic season and then not be able to perform to those levels uh, the next time out, which... I think the other team you mentioned, Plymouth, can fall into that category. Here, it's fairly obvious what's happened. They've lost their two star players. They've lost their most important man in Paul Hurst. Um, it's going to take time. There were, there were shoots of um, positivity for Shrewsbury in the 2 0 nil jaws, mainly just keeping clean sheets. Um, suggested that the loss of Inciada wasn't going to be too important. I've seen some tweets from fans who are trying to stay positive, saying, you know, we actually are 
the, the problem's been poor finishing. Um, and, and obviously, uh, an away loss at Luton is, is not... That's not the point where you go like, oh my God, this is terrible. Yeah, and they were 2-1 up with you know, half an hour or so to go, although their second goal was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. If you haven't seen it yet, it's absolutely absurd. <laughs> the funniest thing about it is, is you know, goalkeeper James Shea seems to realise that something's happened and yet still doesn't have the presence of mind just to kick it away. But except for that, I'm not going to ruin it. Just just go and look it up. Um, obviously, you can find all the highlights um, on, on the Sky Sports website. Um, but yeah, so that, that's slightly flattering because they probably didn't deserve to be ahead. Um, but at the same time, difficult games. You know, going to going to Shrewsbury is tough. Getting a nil-nil draw, draw away at Doncaster is a decent effort. Um, they've got Bristol Rovers at home next up, which is a fantastic chance to to get their first win of the season. Um, uh, but the signs do suggest that after what was an incredible campaign last season, the um, the expectations and targets have to be rethought, and, and survival's got to be the key. Okay, so not entirely similar circumstances or not at all really for Plymouth who kept their manager um, highly rated Derek Adams who kept I think really the core of their squad uh, and and in Graham Carey their star player as far as I can tell seems to be giving away penalties for fun at the moment I think that's two already this season Uh, and a 5-1 home defeat obviously not good enough so uh, you know they did this last season, didn't they? But well, they yet to score two goals in a game in all competitions this this uh, time around. And any Peterborough fans that haven't switched off yet, I mean, this is something we flagged in our uh, pre-season podcast where Plymouth seems to, be, seems to be running very, very hot indeed at the end of the last season. They were winning games uh, when they were well behind in the shot ratio uh, metrics, um, and that seems to not have been built upon a lot of you know. Derek Adams deserves all the time in the world to turn this around again. Um, and he sh- he's shown before that when he turns it around, it's not just survival. It's a case of absolutely rocketing up the league. As a man manager, he he's second to none at this level. So when there's probably some some excitement over the summer though, and it's just a a real blow to start the season like this, especially with when, when there's four relegation places and seemingly fewer basket case clubs this season in League One. You know, it's obviously we've seen them fly up the table last season, but you shouldn't necessarily expect that again. No, we shouldn't. And and the other thing just to note is that something we've spoken about in, in private is that no team goes into the season expecting that they're going to kind of finish very low down. It's pretty rare. Like we read Gab Sutton's interviews with all, with all of the fans on his uh, on his blog, The Football Lab. And I think the lowest prediction we saw was 15th from a Walsall fan. <laughs> and that just shows that, you know, anyone who's, who's occupying these, these, these bottom spots is always going to feel a little bit hard done by. A very good point. I would prefer that you didn't reveal our private conversations, but in that case, I will allow it. Uh, <laughs> we'll drop down into League Two now. And Sunderland fans, don't switch off. Uh, you're coming up, I promise. So we are just going to discuss League Two first. Two sackings to discuss here. Kevin Nolan gone from Notts County. I'm finding this one quite an interesting one. Uh, he is obviously a high-profile name. Notts County are a high-profile club in League Two, uh, and therefore the national media reporting of this sort of sacking can sometimes differ with what you actually read from from the fans and from the people who are watching week in, week out. Peter Taylor of the excellent Bury Me in Exile blog, who's been really across League Two really well this season, has asked us, is the sacking of Kevin Nolan yet another sad indictment of the short-termist mentality of modern football? Or was it more warranted than fans of clubs other than Notts County might think? George, you had quite a good point about this on EFL Matters on Thursday before he'd actually been sacked. Yeah, just about managed to remember it. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is an example where I think people who, who just look at bare um, results or bare league tables can, can get it a bit wrong. Um, Notts County may well have got to the playoffs last season, but for a long time last season, they were they were right up there. Um, the performances have dipped long before this season. Um, if you look to the back end of last season, they uh, they were winless in the last four, two of which being playoff games, which means that they are now on a stretch of um, of ten games, I think it is, without a win. In their last seven, they've conceded three or more goals six times now, which is really, really grim. Um, yeah, as I said, the, the results and the performances under Nolan have been on the slide for a long time. They limped into the playoffs, it's fair to say, after a red-hot start. Um, this is, I think, totally fair enough. This is a team who've gone from being one of the top teams in the league pretty quickly to being basically the worst and with the, with the tools at his disposal there's absolutely no chance they should be this poor so um, whilst again we at NTT20 don't like seeing managers getting the sack I think this one in my book is totally justified especially given you know they're rumoured to be approaching Harry Kuehl Neil Ardley it's, they're obviously 
still ambitious and still have the money to go out there and try and target promising coaches. So, yeah, fair enough in my book. I think that's another thing that, that probably bears mentioning. Kevin Nolan was appointed by Chairman Alan Hardy when Hardy took over the club uh, probably 18 months ago, give or take a few months. And Notts County are a team who, over the last decade and a half, have had probably, I would say, more managers than anyone else, including Leeds in the EFL, um, a club that has had off-field problems that have been completely farcical, actually, in the 21st century. Hardy came in, has really turned things around off the field, uh, has stabilised the club, appointed Kevin Nolan and gave him time, gave him a bit more time. And then last season when they were doing well, didn't seem to be insisting that they were necessarily, um, uh, you know, needed to be promoted, but instead sort of was very happy and said, well, this is kind of, ahead of schedule I think what changed over the summer was that there was a lot of transfer activity and I think at this point we should also say you know we, we were I guess blinded by that yeah. to a point as well because we, we did have Notts County up there in the automatic promotion spots uh, with Lincoln and MK Dons uh, in our pre-season predictions so slightly blinded by the additions up front and out wide and clearly given what you've quoted there defensive stats um, a huge oversight to end up with uh, a backline um, that's that leaky uh, and 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 I suppose from Nolan's point of view clearly not doing enough to, sh- to shore that up in terms of coaching in terms of tactics whatever it is I just think this is interesting one uh, as I said it, it I think you sort of thought this a little bit with uh, Pep Clotet being sacked from Oxford last season that because he's quite well known name and because people just look at you know the national journalists who maybe don't follow the leagues that closely will just look at playoffs last year um, this this seems harsh but it's not necessarily yeah, no, that and not. sometimes it is you know sometimes we do think that but maybe I think in this case is not necessarily the case in terms of Kuehl and Ardley uh, I wasn't really expecting either of those names to pop up firstly from Neil Ardley's point of view um, when you think of what could tempt him down uh, to drop a league down to, to Notts County I can only really think of, of budget and it seems strange but I think Notts County probably do have a bigger budget and could probably pay him more than AFC Wimbledon do. Uh, but at the same time, his Wimbledon side have started the season relatively well. Uh, he's the league above. He's got an unbelievable connection with the fans there. It would be surprising for him to leave Wimbledon for Notts County at this stage. I think if Notts County were um, batting towards the top end of the table, it would make more sense. Whereas given his, you know, where he is in his career at the moment, um, it would be a huge, huge risk because you could take on a job where the, the minimum expectation is a hell of a lot higher than you are at the moment. So any um, inability to perform, you could be out of a job again very soon indeed, and then you're, you're having to restart your career. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's not necessarily a particularly attractive job, despite the, the money and the squad at, at your disposal. And what about Q? Uh, a step up for him, a good appointment for Notts County, if that, if that was to go through? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think last season, I mean, we've mentioned it before, he, he proved that he's, he's capable at this level. Um, given the talk of the, I mean, of the of his job that he was meant to be getting at Charlton, had that takeover gone through, um, it's not probably ideal um, that he, you know, he that would have been the big job for him going forward. But at the same time, uh, yeah, I mean, Notts County will be an attractive proposition for him. Although he has got you know the support of, of the Crawley board at the moment and could hang around for for a bigger job if he does better. But I mean, all, all I, is not if, lost for Notts County, was, is it? No, I mean, there's 41 not. games to go. Absolutely, there's three automatic motion spots, I, four playoff spots. If, if he gets the correct, um, you know, if he gets the correct man in, they could easily be in the top ten in hmm. four weeks' time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's just getting them getting the appointment right. If I was a Notts County fan personally, I mean, I'd definitely want Ardley, like without question. He's proven over four or five seasons now that he is very capable of getting teams at this level to outperform. Um, the sum of their parts so I'd be, I'd be looking me. at uh, Gary Bowyer but I think he might be taking a little bit of time off I saw a, a local journal tweet that that might be the case so we'll wait and see how that develops it's, it's obviously quite new quite fresh and uh, those names being bandied around uh, so far today uh, interesting that we've already seen the local media tweet and sky sources as well about these you know that they've been asking these clubs for for um for the chance to speak to their managers, it seems to be happening quite out in the open. Not necessarily the same for Cheltenham, who sacked Gary Johnson, obviously the man that took them back up from non-league into League Two, but 
certainly the start of this season with, with some mitigating circumstances surrounding the departure of Moisa, um, the the inability to get anyone in to, to sufficiently replace him and whether that is entirely down to Gary Johnson or whoever's in charge of the recruitment there. Johnson's really bore, bore the brunt of it. But I think Cheltenham fans, a little bit like Notts County fans as well, actually all right with the change and, and interested to see who's come in. Uh, Russell Slade's been quite heavily linked, which has not gone that down that well with the Cheltenham fan base. Um, but there are a few sort of uh, former players and club legends who are involved in other clubs, maybe in, in the under-23s. Martin Devaney, um, the, the caretaker Russell Milton, who got a great result on the weekend. Uh, they managed to get Sam Jones in on loan. He scored the winner 24 hours later. So um, it was a good weekend for Cheltenham. And, and again, we'll wait and see who they appoint and we can make a judgment on that maybe next week or whenever that happens. Uh, just in terms of the football in League 2, Lincoln won two out of two this week. They've done nothing to suggest they won't be right at the top of this table, just looking impossibly strong, really, um, at, on all areas of the pitch, I think. Um, Newport and Carlisle, uh, two out of two this week, and they're fourth and fifth in the table, respectively. So um, both of them winnable games, another, for sure. Another Shazerection. Yeah, maybe. Copyright Ali Maxwell, yeah. I mean, do, do you think so? Newport, Carlisle, they're fourth and fifth at the moment. Possibly. You, I mean, think they could stay there? Well, I think Newport's home form is always going to be huge to them, and they're three from three so far, so that's impressive. Carlisle, um, we were fairly negative about, despite our respect for, um, for Sheridan, but, I mean, yeah, absolutely no reason why not. This looks, again, to me, like there are, there are two class teams in this league, and MK Dons and Lincoln, similar to last season and then that third spot's going to be so open and then anyone can sneak into the playoffs I mean look at what happened to Coventry last season spot on good stuff George uh, if you wouldn't mind introducing uh, both our team of the week and the representative that we were lucky to speak to earlier today yeah nobody's uh, going to be shot by this one given what you said earlier but our team of the week is Sunderland six points gained six goals scored it is Sunderland, and we are delighted to be joined by the host of the Roker Report podcast, Connor Bromley. How are you doing, Connor? I am very good. Well, I am brilliant. I mean, as you said, six points from two games. I can't really complain. This League One life seems to be far easier than the Championship of the Premier League. Well, <laughs> Put it that way. It's an interesting thing you say, because we, we've spoken before about how often for teams, you know, big teams such as Sunderland, when you do get relegated a couple of times, it's, as depressing as it may be at the time, actually you end up having quite a fun season where you're winning games and scoring goals. Yeah, I mean, Sunderland, you know, if, if you look at our recent history, since we came into the Premier League in 2007, we've barely won more than 10 games in a season. You know, we've been a, had one moment, we got the League Cup final uh, in 2014, but other than that, it's been horrendous. And now, the, I mean, last year it was kind of, the expectation was at least that we wouldn't be losing every week. Obviously, that's not what happened. Uh, this year it's just a, to go into games and look forward to it and talk to your friends and actually be excited about the games rather than being oh I can't believe I'm wasting my Saturday afternoon watching them cloggers get beat 2-0 off Burton again and that's the kind of the the sense that we have as a fan base now obviously new ownership and stuff as well it's just it, it just feels I don't know liberating almost it's brilliant <laughs> Connor we've also said that as good as it can be from the fan base it can be quite a good thing for the club um, on a competitive level to refocus themselves and that certainly seems to have happened over the summer with the new uh, with the new board and owners in charge and we've spoken about them a fair bit uh, but I wanted to know about Jack Ross the manager because he obviously came down from Scotland he's a young manager uh, certainly looks the part how good has his start been from your point of view and what are his qualities that you've noticed as a Sunderland fan? Itself, doesn't it? 13 points from a possible 15. The only drop points at Luton, who you know, Luton for me are probably going to be in and around that top 10 this year. You know, they're a, they're a decent side. But the, the thing that I've picked up on most is the fact that if you actually watch the games we've played this year, the Scunthorpe game aside, we've not actually been that impressive. Um, we've you know, we've been we've struggled at times. We normally have a good half an hour, which is winning with the games, but other than that, we've struggled. You look at the weekend. We played really poorly against Wimbledon. I'm sure a Wimbledon fan will be nodding in agreement because we, we weren't great. But the thing that's important is the fact that at half time, and in the second half, his substitutions were perfect. You know, most fans would have said, bring off Lee Catamull, but he didn't. He brought off Max Power for Dylan McGill, and Catamull ends up scoring the two goals. And it, it's that kind of thing where you look at him and he's making the right decisions in the games. The team 
hasn't necessarily hit form. I don't think the Sunderland team's playing anywhere near what they can, but he's getting more points from not playing well through sort of his you know tactical decisions during the game and taping his half-time team talks must be working because they have been losing three games this season. You know, we've been 1-0 down three times <laughs> and we've came back and won all them games, which I think that that says a lot more than anything I could say is just the fact that they've came from goals behind and won games and that's something that's done. I don't even know if we did it last year. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned the fact that, that you haven't played, you haven't hit the top gear yet, and you know, you, you, we've made you team of the week because of the two impressive um, victories on the road. But anyone who's watched the highlights would have seen that both Gillingham and AFC Wimbledon squandered a fair few chances. Are you concerned that you're giving away decent chances, or do you think that'll tighten up with time? Uh, yes, I mean, we discussed that this week on our podcast. We we sort of said the same thing. It is concerning that we are giving up chances, but I think also we've got a it's suddenly that our fan base is a Premier League mentality and I don't mean that in an arrogant way How I, what I mean is is normally when we go away from home to say somewhere like Swansea in the Premier League and we'll get beat then it, we often equate the, the bad performances with a bad result whereas in League One it seems to me that teams just aren't as clinical teams need a lot more you know teams need six chances to score a goal and I think as a fan base we need to adjust to the fact that this is the kind of league where there is lots of chances. The football's not necessarily as you know pristine as what it is in the Premier League, and you can't afford to go away from home. Not necessarily play 100. You can't actually win games just through the fact that we have you know internationals in my squad, but do have quality players. So I think it's it's an adjustment from the fan base. The fact that I can sit here and criticise the performance, despite the fact we'll be Phil, uh, Gillingham for one, just seems ridiculous. But I think it's a case of adjusting the fact that we're at this level. And we're not going to see, you know, brilliant football to go along with a brilliant 4-1 away win. You have to dig in at this level. It's different. You have to match the opponent's physicality. And I think that's the thing that, as a fan base, we have to kind of get used to. And it's, it's sort of just weird because we're winning games and it doesn't feel like we're playing very well. But, you know, who's to say that? It's not just us matching the level and being clinical and taking them opportunities. And two players I want to ask you about who certainly have been playing well. Uh, one of which, Josh Madger, who's obviously come in, come through the youth system and is already um, you know, taking a lot of people's fancy already this season and scoring goals. And a player in Chris Maguire, who, who anyone who listens to the podcast will know is basically my favourite ever footballer. Certainly my favourite <laughs> favorite player to play for Oxford in the last, uh, well, in my lifetime. Um, well, a, a word on those two, just, just to finish. Madger is AOE. Had a really good preseason last year, and he got injured. He missed. He was going to start that opening game against Derby. He picked up. I think it was a knee injury, and he, he didn't really play for a few months. He scored. I think on his comeback against Fulham, he might have played a few games before that. And he just never seemed to get going last year. Um, and obviously, he's came in this year. He's had a full preseason. I think a lot of fans hadn't written him off. I don't. I don't think that's fair. But a lot of fans had um, sort of given. Didn't know if he was going to be good enough to lead the line for, but he's done a really good job. He's one of them footballers where anything below his head, he will control brilliantly and beat the defender to. The issue is, is if it goes above his head, he's always going to lose on physical battles uh, in the air. He's not very good at that, but that'll come with obviously age, time. When we get Charlie White, but I mean, we're playing literally the only striker we've got is Char- um, is Josh Madjet because yeah. our other strikers are injured and they're looking for a fourth striker, but that hasn't came off yet. And the fact that he scored in every well, apart from the weekend, he scored in every game before that. It's sort of a testament to him. It's the quality of the goals he's scoring as well. He's he's taking shots that are catching the keepers off guard, and it, it shows that he's obviously a very good finisher and obviously very clever. And, and you look at the goal he scored. Well. At, the goal at Luton was superb. The way he, you know, the way he made his run, Gooch played him in perfectly, and he hits it across the keeper, and it was a, a brilliant finish. So I think he's only going to grow, and I think he probably will benefit when players or back fit so he can, you know, maybe come off the bench um, and he might, you know, benefit from going against tired defenders. As for Maguire, um, he was one of them players I wasn't sure I almost find him. I looked at his career as a whole, but I thought yes, but then last year he was at Berry and it, it didn't work. Um, fundamentally, it, it obviously, they went down and I think he was seen as a, a problem player. But I've noticed from watching with Sunderland that he's very clever. Um, I think... He's a very good player at this level. I, I don't know how good he'll be necessarily in the championship, but at this level, he looks superb. And him, Gooch and Honeyman are, are similar in some respects, but they all bring something different. 
Um, they're all very tenacious. They're all. I mean, I, I'd like look at them as sort of terriers because the the hound of the back four, uh, just with their pressing game, they've all got energy. And you know, he seems like a, a clever player. Um, and I think everything so far has just been positive from him. I think he might have a temperament. I can sort of see him maybe being one of them players that might go through a period of really bad form. But I don't know if that's just me, you know, towering a player before, you know, so far five games he's been perfect. So I've got no criticisms there. I think he's been a really good signing, scored two goals as well, two important ones. So I think he's been really good. Um, yeah, I've got, <laughs> I think he's been a great signing. <laughs> Connor, it's, it's been great great chatting to you. George and I actually coming up to the Stadium of Light on Saturday. It's uh, Sunderland against Oxford. For us, it's the NTT20 AGM. And um, we're really looking forward to coming to the Stadium of Light. I've not been before. Um, but thank you very much for joining us. Connor is from Roker Report. And look, I don't want to blow too much smoke up your backside, but it's been amazing to watch uh, your rise as Roker Report over the, over the last year or so because... I know that it's been very, very tough and it must be quite demoralising at times having to create content uh, uh, specifically about a team that's not doing very, very well. But if the owners and the new manager and some of the new players have, have helped to breathe new hope into the, the fan base, then I certainly think that you guys have played a massive part as well. Um, so thank you for joining us. And just one last thing, our guest last week, Alex Fisher, who played for Team of the Week last week, Yeovil, he scored uh, a goal on the weekend for them. So I don't know what the equivalent would be for you, but maybe, maybe by a lot lottery ticket this weekend yeah I could do the, the do a grind in your hand at half time I could do that to be <laughs> fair the last home game I did the crossbar challenge and I, I didn't hit it so maybe if I was doing the crossbar <laughs> challenge this weekend that would have been an equivalent if I hit it spot on um, well Connor we're looking forward to meeting you on Saturday and thank you very much for joining us no problem great to speak to Connor there we're very very excited to head up to Sunderland this weekend for the NTT20 AGM. Uh, it's going to be a, a smashing weekend and hopefully uh, some good content over on our Instagram page. So please head over there now and drop us a quick follow. So that's at NTT20pod on Instagram. Uh, you can see behind the scenes as we get the train up to Newcastle, head across to Sunderland, watch the game, and then whatever happens back in Newcastle on Saturday night, uh, I'll make sure to document. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. We hope that you will get involved with the Thursday betting show. Uh, plenty of good games to preview, not least Leeds versus Middlesbrough, which should be an absolute cracker on Friday night. Uh, and as ever, we just ask for a retweet, for a share, anything that you can do to, to help spread the word just keeps helping us. Um, we want to keep growing and building and, and uh, we're really excited about the way we've started the season, but equally got to keep going and, uh, and see where we can get to from here. So until next time. <laughs>